Hello, Character Arc listeners. Welcome to the Character Arc Podcast, where each week we watch a movie. We're going to discuss that movie, start by giving a brief synopsis, and then move on to things we like, things we didn't like, and some changes if we were the ones making the film. I'm Richard Bertelson. And I'm Ted Hong. This week, we watched The Frighteners. Ray, we have a poltergeist! There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh my god, I don't believe this is not happening! We have got a poltergeist! Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but it's not gonna be cheap. We should first just mention why we watched a movie that's 24 years old. <laughs> 24 um, years old. So, I mean, we brought it up before that uh, since movie theaters are closed, we're just watching the last week we watched a movie that was a couple years old uh, that we had just missed. This time, we didn't miss The Frighteners, but really the reason why I chose The Frighteners because I heard someone else mention Peter Jackson's name. They did not mention this movie. They were talking about King Kong. And I, for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was, I haven't seen The Frighteners in a very long time. And here we are. So here we are. This is, uh, this is not Peter Jackson's directorial debut, but it's probably the first mainstream movie he ever made. Let's give a synopsis. Do you right, want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, I'm going to spitball real quick because I actually did not prep this time. No. But here we go. Um, serial killers who is fixated on the number of kills they have is really bad at math. Are really bad at math. <laughs> Ted did figure out a incorrect or uh, that their counting is not is not right. They killed more people than they thought, which is a shame because it would have made them very happy. Because my synopsis is: young couple tries to break a world record. <laughs> <laughs> because not only okay, so not even if they also count ghosts, then there are additional ones. Because there are one, two, three, four. All of Michael J. Fox's or Frank's posse. There's yep. the judge, seventies man, nerd man. And then also Ray, who died. And then also the mom. So instead of being at 42? 40s where they stopped. He, Michael well, J., Frank was, spoiler alert, Frank dies. Twice? Twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the more you talk about counting you, there's actually a bunch of reasons why it's fucked up. Um, yeah. but I don't think you can count the people who were already dead because they didn't kill them, although they do they do extra kill them. <laughs> I mean, the two went up to heaven. They do kill the ghosts, (laughs) but they didn't kill them when they were normal alive. Yeah. Well, first, did you like this movie, too? Oh, I love it. It's great. Pure (laughs) 90s fun, over the top, and it it does right in hitting, like, the the heartstrings. Makes you care enough. But then you also find that the logic doesn't quite entirely add up. But even then, you're, you're willing to overlook it. I never put this together before, but watching it this time, which I think everybody should watch this movie if you haven't seen it, especially if you do like Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings, which is probably the only thing that you would like. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. King Kong's really good, actually. It's just too long. Tad long, yeah. It's a very interesting movie, and you actually can see some of his style come through. Some of it comes through in the... The Lord of the Rings is less cheesy but it is there his his weird moving cameras and overacting it is present in those movies too um but what this reminded me of this time watching it is beetlejuice oh yeah it's kind of the tone of beetlejuice it is weird and macabre this is a this turns more hardcore horror at the end than beetlejuice ever does beetlejuice is never really scary it's weird 
This movie's actually kind of disturbing at the end, especially after 24 years of mass shootings. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a pretty intense way Prelude. to put that on film. Like, yeah. it's really... It's effective. It's it's a horror movie. It's supposed yeah. to be, you know, disturbing, but it's definitely just a mass shooting. This is yeah. definitely just a movie That's about a mass is. shooting. You know, it also struck me as strange as, like, they argued, or she argued that she didn't know him. I mean, in those flashbacks, she was a it was clear, clear participant. And since they only killed 12 people and there were a bunch of people around, there's no reason why she shouldn't have been in prison, too, or also yeah. executed, because she was very clearly participating. Yeah. <laughs> and people were running around her. It's like, oh, hey. That's, uh, that's, what's her face? Patricia, carving numbers into people's heads. <laughs> but yeah, did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. It was weird. It's a movie that I haven't seen since I was a child. So it had that weird effect of not being exactly what I remembered, but also... Through a different lens, almost. I do kind of not like Peter Jackson's <laughs> goofiness sometimes. Just the camera just like walks in and twists at someone's face as they say something semi-dramatic or... <laughs> or how it like fixates on their lips and how pronounced they are <laughs> yeah. or exaggerating. And he definitely tells everyone to overact a bit. Yeah. Um, like like Ray. Like you just mentioned Ray's a fucking cartoon character. Yeah, I he did. is yeah. a fucking cartoon <laughs> character. Just the way he enunciates everything and moves. He's just so over the top. It's not a human. But... But also Dammers. Oh God! Yeah, even Dammers works for me a little bit better because he's creepy and weird. But it's so—it's also kind of strange. I mean, this is what I mean by the logic. He's an FBI agent, right? Who's clearly just destroyed within batshit crazy, batshit crazy, guano crazy, and he's still able to work for the government. He has. He's got tattoos and etchings and scars all throughout his body. Seemed like his nipples were ripped off. I oh wow, I didn't notice that. I only noticed that. Okay, yeah. His nipples were ripped off. I mean, <laughs> there were like scabs there. <laughs> there's weird. a, there's a whole entire baggage. Oh yeah, no. Him. Dammers has every right being an FBI agent as Fox Mulder does, which is no <laughs> right at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's not. I I don't really love that stuff, but I do actually think that the movie is so consistent about it that it's fine. It's it fun. actually works great. Yeah. It's fun. It's, I was gonna say some play, some movies that do it. It's just like. It doesn't really quite hit. But this is what I'm saying. It, it, I think There's a, a charm to it. There is. There absolutely is. I think as a kid, I liked it because it was kind of weird and creepy and interesting. And now I liked it more from the perspective of, like I said, it reminded me of Beetlejuice. Yeah. Now I look at it as, okay, this is a very specific style that this person made into a movie. And did a really good job. Um, it's funny that it reminded you of Beetlejuice. It reminded me of Little Monsters. <laughs> which is why I had suggested it a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. So, picking it apart a little bit, which actually... Let's, let's... What was the deal... The story about Michael J... About Frank, Michael J. Fox's wife dying, there's that prelude to that story where he was arguing with his wife, and maybe he made a basketball court, which seems like a really useless detail, detail? to tell. Because yeah. um, it doesn't even seem like that's what they were fighting about. Anyway... But then he meets his wife. Like, I don't... What was the relationship he had with his wife? Because that, that way that story is told is like there's some huge problem with them. But I guess maybe it's just... Maybe just that's just because Dammers is the one telling it. It's possible, yeah. Like through like, the unreliable like narrator. Yeah, because we don't um, know anything about his wife. We feel like there's something weird there. And we never learn anything about his wife. No, we don't. She's in heaven when he briefly steps to the pearly gates and she just goes, no. 
be happy. Be happy. I have an argument for that. She tells him to be happy because she doesn't want him in heaven with her. <laughs> right. She's like, no, no, I've had enough of your shit. You can go back down. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just, it just weird because it, it feels incomplete. It feels like there's something we need to know about There might them. have been a cut. There might have been more to the story that maybe in the final cut they didn't include. Yeah. Because um, it does seem like there is a missing piece right there. Almost as, as if, like, he maybe there was an argument and maybe something... I, I almost feel like the, the angle that they were going to do is that Damaris hears, knows it through this one angle, but then we actually see what happens. and I think that's what's missing is that we see what really... If, if that's not really what happened, which based on how much him and his wife seem to love each other for the two seconds that they're together in the movie, I but assume that's not... That. Huh? But we don't even see that. No. The, when they're when we see them together, they're arguing. There's no. no I, I just meant it. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, when they're face to face in heaven. Sorry, go for it. Oh that, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is like, based on the fact that it seems like we're supposed to believe they have a really loving, they, like he really loved her and she really, they were happy. There seems to be a suggestion that they were happy, but it's never. It's not depicted that, on screen. Right. So I think that we are missing that. Like that, if we were gonna have the the Dammer story, then you needed to show us the real story. Mm-hmm. It really paints him in a sort of asshole kind of way he's drinking and driving he decided to build a basketball court instead of listening to his wife he drives like a maniac throughout the movie throughout the entire uh, movie yeah I just not just the one time so yeah like when he comes back to ray's ray's house after accidentally crushing his lawn then he comes back presumably to pull a grift on ray so that he doesn't get sued for the lawn and his fence uh-huh. and then he further breaks his fence and his gnome his garden gnomes like right. that's why, 90s humor why right did there. you just park on the why did you park on the, what because is like, wrong with him if you think about for character development his ghost would be you know after his wife had died after a car accident i don't want to drive but I, I guess I don't. I don't think that it would make you drive like a maniac. All no, the no. Time. <laughs> I'm just saying, like in the movie, he wouldn't be driving anymore. That's my argument. Is right. that if that happened, that would just forever haunt him. He'd either be afraid of driving, or he would drive. He would actually drive the opposite. He'd drive so, yeah, so exactly. He'd, yeah, exactly. I mean, because I know they try to show that he has, in, in some ways, uh, you know, changed for the better. He made a garden out of his basketball court. You know, it it works. It's just. It almost works as you kind of ignore a lot of the details, and it's just yeah. Like I think that that's why he drives like crazy, just because the movie's just being flashy and moving you forward. Because the movie does move at a pretty fast pace. It does. Um, and I think that's. I think that yeah, he he drives like crazy to keep the weird energy of the movie up, and that's literally the only reason why he does it. But you know, you gotta <laughs> hand it to him. It it is consistent. Yeah. It's not just yeah. like strange for a bit, and then where did this come from? I didn't forget about the showdown in the museum. Mm-hmm. But I forgot how fucking weird it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the uh, the host of the event had some balls on him, charging two police officers who have their guns drawn on Frank. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> That's how you get this shot. This is my event. Especially by those police officers who eventually do just fire wildly <laughs> into a crowd of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just... Oh, there he is. He's hiding behind that urn. These priceless artifacts that I'm just going to just tear a hole through. It's also one of those things where when you actually like pull apart the scene, it's just movie logic. Every movie does it. But that there would be long sequences of the cops just staring at him while he is doing and saying a bunch of weird things and they don't really react to. Yeah. Because he's talking to his ghost friends yep. and reacting to everything that is uh, behind them, around them. <laughs> right. 
one of the police officers decides to investigate something behind him. Is like, you stay right there. It's <laughs> like he would have no reason to listen to you. I did think that there was a an extra character that didn't need to be in the movie. Let me see, in that scene, um, specifically, but also earlier on. I'm wondering if we could be on the same page. Test time. Which character was highly unnecessary? I don't know that. I don't know that. I feel like any character is unnecessary. The reporter. Really? Because I think she pulled out. No, see, that's the editor. No, but he doesn't do anything in that. Exactly. Scene. He just he dies. Doesn't, like he's he just the dies. reason why they. But get But he there. was like featured in the beginning. It's like okay, if I honestly, if you just merge the, her but, character and him. But I mean, he's not really a character though. He's in exactly two okay, scenes. Fine. He's in one. He only says one thing in the movie. <laughs> And then the other scene, it's just his death is just how you get to the scene. He's he's I'm, a tool. He's a he's a tool. Like she, that that opening scene with them, and she's talking to him over the computer is is really just giving you uh, exposition. exposition. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I watched the video within a video, and that gave me exposition. That yeah. that would have been fine too. My my point is that those two characters, the reporter and the editor, could have been merged into one character. Because obviously the numbers don't really matter, despite how much they want to say it matters in terms of the kills. <laughs> I don't think I disagree with the fact that you could get rid of him or merge him. I just think that you would save all of thirty seconds. So what's the point? Hey, <laughs> Mr. Movies need to be ninety minutes. Those thirty seconds could be very crucial. Because I don't even consider him a character. I consider him as much of a character as, like, the mummified lady that is used to dance. <laughs> kind of. Or any name any movie where a main character has a secretary that is asked to hold someone's calls exactly once in the movie and never serves any other purpose. He's literally just, like, set dressing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. He just proves that she doesn't work alone. <laughs> In this weird town, this, well, this weird fucking town that lets lets Frank Bannister drive like that, and nobody arrests him, even though he just constantly leaps over curves and like <laughs> destroys public and private property constantly, or allow a doctor to be in a confined room alone just, with someone who's implicated in three murders. I'll one up you on that one. Who she is loosely involved with too? Like she's been present at some of the crimes, so she should definitely not be allowed to talk to him. The weird medieval restaurant that this town. Hey, has. I love that restaurant. <laughs> I want to go to one. And it weirdly feels like a small town, but then they have something so specific like that restaurant, and also quite a huge, very pricey museum. Like, is this a small town or is this a major city? I can't tell. It. All the shots of the movie look like a small town. Right. But Until the things you get this to. place has seem like this huge city. Right. Well, it's the 90s. You know, it didn't... <laughs> I don't know what it is about the 90s. Like, for some reason, a lot of movies, logic is just out the window. Really, all the all the suspicion around Frank Bannister beat... Well, not around his wife. I could see there being suspicion there, and they just not have enough to arrest him on. So that's always a weird thing that a, a town would talk about, and maybe small town would talk about. But all the other, like, Dammer's, like, being convinced that he had to do with the 28 other deaths since his wife died. And he, he, lists, off, <laughs> he lists off two things that he's loosely, like, was in the Facing vicinity his, of. Yeah. What about the 26 other murders, Dammer's? Like, your theory kind of falls apart, because even the three people that you do mention, which were only the most recent ones, one of them you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, was he if, present <laughs> for the other 26 murders? Wait, if you... If you gonna 
pin this on him, most of the evidence suggests he had nothing to do with it, even if you include his wife and the fact that he was present for the bathroom, dude. So that puts you at four of 28. Therefore, the preponderance of the evidence suggests he had nothing to do with the death. <laughs> and really, when a town, again, that is maybe a small town, 28 people die, it's probably a lot of people coincidentally in the vicinity of them. Right. But, uh, I mean, as we were talking about the cinematography, or at least, you know, Peter Jackson's cinematic style, no, I really liked it. Because no matter what, it got you engaged, involved. All the shots were dynamic, and, you know, especially the floaty bits. When they were in the hospital, the the switching from like a flashback mm-hmm. to being present. I mean, it's like very theater to do that, to give that same illusion. And it works wonders. I was very impressed by it. I, I loved it. As That whole scene is super, super good. Super good. Probably, I mean, not probably. I would say that it deserves to be kind of respected. It's like a really fucking great example of cinematography and editing and even just tone. Um the way, not only the camera tricks and the lighting, because it is—it's not just cutting and he's in the old place and the new the, place. It's also the the distinct. light like changes to ease you in and out of the transitions. Oh yeah, which is super cool. The location is super creepy to begin with. If you're gonna set your movie somewhere, um, the way that those, like I said, kind of mentioned earlier, the way that the flashback parts of it are shot, especially now, like they're creepy anyway, but especially now have like this whole other connotation to them, which is really creepy. And that even the construction of the scene, because there's also multiple levels of like problems. Building. Yeah. Because uh, that's what because Damers comes in and throws like they're being hunted by a ghost, a living woman, and an F- and a crazy FBI agent, and they're just trying to get to the chapel, the chapel in the yeah. in the sanatorium. <laughs> sanatorium. <laughs> and, and so the conflict is wonderfully it, interwoven. It is, um, it is a climax in its purest form. It is the oh, highest level of all of the conflicts in the film right. coming together as one. Especially the last bit, the Hail Mary. He just decides to go and take her soul is what he did. <laughs> which, which also is another thing if you think about it, doesn't Do ghosts just have that power? Because nobody else did that. Nobody else, he just grabbed her soul and ripped it out of her body. He, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a crazy power. <laughs> He, well, I she mean, didn't. He didn't kill her. He didn't like physically kill her body. He just right. ripped the soul out of it. He I mean, Shang Tsung did. What? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you would change with this movie? I don't think so because at this point it feels to me like a classic that is what it is and. Even though I don't always love the choice of being super over the top, it works so well for what peter jackson put together here that it's exactly the way it's supposed Supposed to be be. yeah and i can see i I enjoyed it a lot but i I, I, even now i can see someone hating this movie oh yeah but that'd just be because the style of it is so specific like i bet if you asked peter jackson you would say nope that's exactly what i wanted it to look like and i just got i guess i can't fault him for that no it's its own uh it's its own signature is what it is, and I do appreciate it. It had this movie not come out previously, and someone decided to take this concept and make it. Now, it might be good, depending on who makes it. But if they decided to remake it, I would be just beside myself. It would be such a delicate thing to try to remake because the film is also weirdly effective in making that transition from being pretty fucking goofy, yeah, to the 
the last 20 minutes of the movie, the goofiness ceases to be a part of it anymore. And it, it is legitimately just a horror film. And to make that jump organically, I don't think... I don't think a lot of people could achieve that without the movie feeling weird and kind of broken. But this movie doesn't. You you actually don't realize the last time the movie stopped telling jokes or being weird. I You're just already deep in it. I would argue that because when Dammers got his face shot off, his ghost head was yeah, that's like a, a cartoon. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the end of that sequence, though. Yeah. But yeah. But I do agree. I do agree with you. It's just they, they just decided to insert that one joke. I don't know. I would maybe have worked on his on frank's backstory a little bit more um but this sort of like reluctant kind of hero is always interesting to me i suppose if peter jackson remade the movie now it'd be four hours long (sighs) well see that's why you had zemeckis there zemeckis i think balanced it out a little bit it is actually weird to watch this movie and how efficiently it moves it really it it introduces the in three succinct scenes like the each character each set of characters you need to know and then sets them on into motion of doing like like between meeting ray and ray dying it's like oh shit like that just it just it was it was literally the next time we see ray he's already dead because that's where the story needs to go for us to move on right and i just can't imagine like what especially watching his movies that he's that he's made since it's such a weird thing that what what happened to him i mean the Lord of the Rings just broke him, I guess. See, no, I I think Zemeckis, and this is why we, yeah, I think he reined him in. I mean, he's the executive producer at that point in this movie, but also, I mean, we're arguing for the idea of there being scenes cut out or at least parts cut out or something seems inconclusive, like with Frank's backstory in this case. Maybe Peter Jackson had filmed it or really wanted it, and Zemeckis is like, no, 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 we just need this. This is good enough. That's actually very possible because this would have been before he would have had a couple cult films, but he would have never had like a big, a big budget. And whereas everything after Lord of the Rings, so, so he would have got been given this opportunity because of sort of his, his his earlier films are like this. They're they're right. weird, goofy horror. Um, and then after Lord of the Rings, so he wouldn't have had that reputation so a, a producer or a studio would definitely be like no you have to kind of meet us halfway here whereas after lord of the rings because he made all of the money and won all of the oscars that i think when it came to king kong and the lovely bones he had the george lucas problem where nobody told him no no which is the, referring to the original star wars trilogy is better than the prequels because he was constantly argued with in by studios and by producers. And then in the prequels, everyone was just like, oh, he's a god. He knows everything. And so they just let him do whatever he wanted. And it turns out, really, that's never a good way to make a film, I don't think. I think that everyone... it's Because it, a bunch of different art forms are coming together. So not having equal voices and push and pull from the different artists involved can only really hurt the film. It could be argued that there are indeed some visionaries but more often than not i'm on the same page as you i mean i, I think because i yeah it's a collaborative effort it's not just one person that's called i mean yeah it is kind of but yeah i mean i think you're right i i because I, you obviously it's what you might think of as the cohen brothers or something like that where right they're so precise in what they but want. also i wonder if that is because like i have no idea it could just be they could just be tyrants on set in exactly the way they want (laughs) 
But I, I wonder if someone who I wonder if someone or some team who consistently makes really high quality films like that, I wonder if they willingly accept the input of others. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like they don't have to be oh, yeah, shut down because yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the studio might or their DP or their producers might say, "Hey, we should do it differently," or might not say it because of the Coen Brothers. But the Coen Brothers may be like, "Hey, you're working on this. What do you think?" Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson hasn't really directed a film in a while. He's been a producer on some things. Um, would you like to see him make more movies like this again, since it's actually his original style? I don't know. It's kind of hard, because the 90s, being 20 years ago... This movie's 24 years old. 24 years old. I don't know. He'd have to have a particular style that fits in now, which I'm not saying he wouldn't have. It's just a little... It's not... I mean, it's not... With the Beatles comparisons, and it's not terribly unlike some Tim Burton. Um, although I guess Tim Burton's style doesn't really work anymore, based on the fact that the last however many movies he's made are useless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're mostly Disney. Movies. Yeah, Disney. <laughs> um, I was just trying to think back. Uh, also, not terribly unlike Sam Raimi style. They're not even in their blockbuster films. Actually, Raimi and Jackson aren't that different. Like, no. compare some of the this the cheesiness to the spider-man movies to the hobbit movies or because it comes through way more than in those than it does in lord of the rings um or the king kong like king kong's really over the top like jack black's performance and stuff like that is really <laughs> look at me i'm a cartoon <laughs> okay well i mean it would be something it might even be refreshing because now he's established himself as being the really long-winded trilogy making movie guy because he's definitely a good voice in filmmaking a very talented filmmaker obviously it's weird that i mean i'm pretty sure his last couple movies were failures i don't but i i don't think that's why he's not making movies i imagine he has free reign to make movies for the rest of his life if he wants to right i bet the hobbit killed him i bet he hates movies now have you ever seen the documentary to the making of the hobbit no he so clearly does not want to participate in that movie. really he he literally gives an opening speech to the cast and crew that's like yeah i don't want to be here but this is where we are <laughs> like, he I wanted thought... he wanted um guillermo del toro, del toro to do it and then the rights to the book got all tied up and then del toro had to move on to another project but then new line cinema was like but you have to make it though because here's a billion dollars and so he didn't want to, he never wanted to direct those movies. And then he did. And I think that the reason why they get worse and worse as they go on, is the first Hobbit's fine. The second one's boring. The third one is nonsense. Just utter nonsense. And I think it's because he truly didn't give a fuck anymore. Right. Because <laughs> that's a big undertaking for something, for something you don't want to do. And you have to make three of them? Three of them. <laughs> But if you can get a hold of that documentary, it is very fascinating. I'll have to check it out, Because if you watch the making of the Lord of the Rings on the Lord of the Rings uh, extended editions, there's so much passion and love for the series. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it on The Hobbit, and he's just... He literally says out loud several times, like, yeah, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I mean, part of why I haven't really looked into that is because I... They're bad movies. (laughs) Yeah, I... They're very lukewarm at best. Uh, I mean, the first one was good. That was really good. I think it captured it quite well, but then the other ones, I was it. I just fell off of it. But then there's another six hours of movie based on roughly the last hundred pages of a book. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why anyone thought that would be a, a good a good move. I don't know. I watch think the Frighteners. Watch the Frighteners. The Frighteners watch the is Frighteners. very good. It is a fascinating and wonderful film. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, we will be back with either another older movie or a newer movie. I don't know. We'll see. We're, a movie. We will, we will ride this out. Really, however the fuck we feel like it until this whole virus thing's over. Yeah. <laughs> so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Character Arcane, the website Character Arcane.net, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Richard Bertelson. I'm the other dude, Ted Hong. <laughs>